humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 157. I sat down with Jen and Graham Ayers at their home in Seattle, Washington, and we had a conversation about change, about seeing something that could be a problem or finding out whether it's even a problem or if it's just people talking about it and doing something to be of service. Uh, They told me a little bit about what they did to help their community, and I was very intrigued and I wanted to do an episode on it. So that's how this came to be. Jen and Graham uh, were in a very popular Seattle band called Honey Tongue. Jen currently is a cast member of Teatro Zanzani, uh, where she, her beautiful voice can be heard uh, as she sings and does gymnasticky things. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen Teatro Zanzani, but it's certainly something to watch. Um, I've been here in Seattle before, and it's a very cool show. And Graham is uh, a manager at uh, several of the Jack's Barbecue here in Seattle. So he is, you know, the guy that's running the ship all around the barbecue restaurants. So if you're in Seattle and you are hankering for some barbecue, they're not paying me to say this, but definitely go check out Graham's restaurants. I've known Jen and Graham for a really long time and they're wonderful people. And I met their son for the first time on this trip to Seattle. And he is a really lovely human being, articulate, so smart, uh, so funny and a charmer for sure. Uh, so just a good family all around. Okay, the usual stuff, of course, social media, Hey Human Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me on social media, Susan Ruthism, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I have my regular website, SusanRuth.com. You can find out all about me, uh, my paintings and my music. I'm on iTunes under Susan Ruth. I've got so much going on. It's crazy. And of course, the podcast itself, heyhumanpodcast.com, which has a links page that I curate every week, has tons of information. Definitely check it out. Uh, It's a deep dive into whatever subject is being talked about on the show. So definitely take a uh, gander at the old links page. Um, The Amazon portal is also there on the heyhumanpodcast.com website. If you shop Amazon and you want to help support Hey Human, please do so through that Amazon portal there on the old website. That would be awesome. Um, What else? You can email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. And, oh, May 19th, if you're in Seattle, I'll be performing improv at the Pocket Theater at 7 p.m. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That's May 19th. Pocket Theater in the Greenwood neighborhood of Seattle. So come on and see that if you are around. Help support the Pocket Theater. It's a, uh, I think it's a, what do you call it, like a co-op theater. So important to support those local places. Take a minute and go to iTunes and rate and review Hey Human. It's super helpful and I appreciate it. I'm very excited. I'm going to go see Endgame this week. I know I'm the last person on earth to see it. (laughs) But, uh, and I've managed to avoid all spoilers, so I'm super stoked. I'm going to go with my brother and his wife to go see it on Monday. I have to, I only have a few more days of avoiding anything about the end game. So <laughs> if you know me and you run into me, don't tell me a thing. I don't want to know. 
Okay, well, that's that. Let's get to it. Uh, again, Jen and Graham, they're awesome. I really love what they did for their community and their local school and for kids everywhere, really. Because I think this kind of stuff, uh, what do you call it? Echoes out. So let's do this. Thanks for listening, everybody. Jen and Graham Ayers, welcome to Hey Human. Thanks, Hello. Susan. Very excited Thanks. to have you guys on the show. I've known you both for a very long time as we were musical buddies coming up in the music scene in Seattle. That's right. But you've become adults and stuff, <laughs> grown up and had a kid and, and all that. And uh, so just to let everybody know, I, I came over for brunch on, was that Saturday or yeah, Friday? Saturday. Saturday. Yummy stuff, by the way. Oh, Very good. Graham makes a mean frittata. I oh, do. so good. Um, and we started talking about your neighborhood because you live, I would say this is the, is it the Rainier Valley of yeah. Seattle? Okay. Yes. And so this is historically known as maybe a more sketchy part of town. And you bought your house back when it was definitely considered that. Yeah, I mean, I think that it depends on who you ask. I think it depends on what uh, person you're asking of about sketchiness. Um, but it's the, 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 what it was thought considered, of. Considered, yes. Considered, yeah, By yeah, the yeah. north end, it yeah. was considered sketchy. Like, this was yes. the bad part of town, right? It's just like any yeah. town, any any neighborhood near MLK Boulevard or any town, you know what I mean? It's like, ooh, that's the sketchy part of town kind yeah. of thing. Because there were more brown people. Yes, in, people in of colors code. always makes people very nervous. <laughs> so in a city like Seattle too, that yeah. is, um, you know, not really diverse, but all its diversity tends to be clustered into certain areas of mm -hmm. town. So I would say this area of town, the Rainier Valley, has historically been the more diverse area. Is or that what you drew you to the neighborhood, or was it the price point, or? Well, I think it was a little bit of both. I think uh, we lived up in uh, the Green Lake area, and I think we felt like we lived in the whitest place in the world. And we really did, when we thought about a future and maybe thought about children, um, definitely diversity was important to us and high on the list. And I think we had heard about the diversity down here through a couple of... Uh, was it your coworker, Jen? Yeah. Who had sort of bought a house down here. And uh, so then we... The price point brought us to check out houses. Because this was 1997, 98, 97. Mm -hmm. And the then... The first home owner wave or boom. Yeah. And we thought we were none priced of, out. None of our friends lived in this area except for this one coworker I had. So we just weren't familiar with the area. I mean, we knew Seward Park, which is a park on Lake Washington like you know a few blocks from where we live right now so it's a, we knew it we knew it recreationally we knew the neighborhood but we didn't really have friends here or socialize down here or hang out here very much so um we had to ha kind of have a conversation like well we move into this neighborhood it's our friends d think it's an unsafe neighborhood and we don't really know a lot about it but wow if we have children one day we would want to raise our family in a more diverse area and not in a very white bread neighborhood like the ones more north of Seattle, north I'm of curious, downtown. Are the people that said, "Oh, that's an unsafe neighborhood," sort of like the <laughs> when I said earlier at the yes. top of this conversation, which is, you know, I'm saying it in jest because, yeah, ironically, but they were dead on serious. Had yes. they really been to the neighborhood, or were they just 
assuming because I feel like a lot of times that assumption has far greater weight than the reality. Yes. Yeah. Assumption. Mostly assumption. Yeah. Yes. And by the way, listeners, we're in Seattle. If you're wondering where we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> my hometown. Yeah. So you came down here to check it out. Yeah, we came down and we came down on an evening. Um, we thought, well, you know, let's, let's spend some time in the neighborhood. And so we were like, well, let's come at nighttime. Everybody says it's so unsafe. Let's go walk the neighborhood. And that day, as we're driving down I-5, the sun was setting, and then we arrived here, and there was this beautiful sunset, and there was a couple on the street over out with their baby or whatever. And I think there was like a rainbow and a <laughs> pot was, of gold. And <laughs> it was. It was like, move to this neighborhood. It's lovely. We talked to some neighbors who'd also recently moved from the north side of Seattle, probably, and, you know, said that they had invested in this neighborhood they were able to get a reasonable you know they were able to get more bang for their buck in their house and they were really liking being here and we hung out a bit and we're like well we're gonna we're gonna do this this is where we want to raise our children we don't if we have them someday and i think we were excited because right across the street from us was a school and we thought well this is where if we ever have children, we don't have to drive our child to school. And there were, side, the and there were sidewalks in this neighborhood. Oh, the sidewalks there are huge. There aren't many in some neighborhoods of Seattle. And there was a dog park three blocks down uh, where we had a dog at the time. And the house we found had this nice fenced-in backyard. So for our needs at that moment in time, and it, had a, what, it even had a garage, we knew we could vert into a studio because we're musicians and we knew we could... Stop renting a practice pad and do it out of our house. So we did it. And you're on a nice piece of land here. Yeah, too. it's a big, it's a big lot. Mm-hmm. So why I'm really here, the school. So you have the school across the street. Right. And it's not rated highly, right? right. And let's talk about a little bit what you were telling me before, um, which got me interested in this conversation. Yeah. Um, that you you read message boards about it or what it, how did you well so we had uh, we did have a little boy um when 2006 so he's <laughs> in preschool and we start to be more a part of our neighborhood um it's interesting what having kids will do to help you really get ingrained in your community because we had been touring musicians before we had our son so we lived here, but we were coming and going a lot. And and maybe important to add that, you know, 2006 was probably seven to eight years later um, than when we first moved here. And I think there had been a pretty huge uh, change in the neighborhood already in terms of uh, perhaps gentrification, um, just sort of Columbia City, which was sort of an old historic neighborhood, really took off. A lot of restaurants moved in. so. There was a decent, um, there was a, a population here that, um, I, I don't know. Whiter. <laughs> well, I was just to say. Yeah, it well, and it already grown. Yeah, it had already, it was no longer, whoa, where are you moving? But there was familiarity with Columbia City. Right. And um, I think for us, I think we just always assumed that when you have a school across the street from us, that it would make the most sense to send your child there. 
But and, so were you upset that it was starting to gentrify? As we know, historically well, means get whiter when you wanted the diversity or was that just the nature of the beast? Well, there's like two separate stories happening, right? There's like the story of like being a parent in your neighborhood and, and parenting. And then there's an the issue of, you know, why we moved to our neighborhood, what we loved about our neighborhood and over 20 years time, which it's been now. What has happened to that neighborhood? That's a long time. It's a long time. It's a really long time. So kind of to speak to what Graham's saying, but also mention that we got to know our neighborhood better through being parents because we were connected to other parents in the neighborhood, whether it's going to yoga classes or going to the local bakery, you know, you're walking, you're in the park. I mean, we made friends in the park with our two-year-old. So you get to know your neighbors, whether they be, you know, the greater neighborhood. You're, you're, we felt more entrenched, more dedicated, more a part of things. You were creating a tribe yes. within the neighborhood, which I think that's such a lost art. Many people shut themselves off from their neighbors, right? And then they feel very isolated. They don't know what, what's going on around them. Uh, and that's not healthy. Obviously. No, no. And as a <laughs> neighborhood, levels. exactly. And as a neighborhood shifts and changes, you really feel that if you already have investment in the neighborhood. Mm. So to ask then that other question of well, what has happened to this neighborhood, I would say that there are, we have friends who moved to this neighborhood or lived in this neighborhood in the eighties or in the nineties. And a lot of us have a different relationship with this neighborhood than people who've moved and I'm speaking recently. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially people maybe of more privilege and more money and who have wider skin. Moving, <laughs> who are moving in now. Yeah. 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 And I, th- and and, I think, oh, and adding to that dual conversation of, of how there are separate, two really distinct separate issues is gentrification, um, brings other things that, you know, there's restaurants, the difference maybe between gentrification and um, sort of building up. Uh, yeah, it's I tricky. mean, there's, it's tricky because, you know, we had, when we first moved here, there was one restaurant to eat at. And um, 10 years later, there was every type of cuisine to eat at. Um, now there's a Whole Foods two miles down. Which is always a big yeah oh yeah and there's a big uh, marker of a neighborhood becoming something a PCC actually but yes oh okay well that oh. way is, oh oh yeah no that way too yeah. well we actually have a PCC which is the local kind of yeah kind of Whole Foods local Seattle yeah. place in our neighborhood yeah sure. exactly I think there's a shift in and one of the big things I've noticed over 20 years about maybe who moved into this neighborhood and was part of the fabric of it earlier versus who's, and I'm talking about new people moving in. I'm not talking about let's respect and value what was here before because some of the changes that have happened in 20 years are nice. It's nice to have choice in restaurants. Sure, of it's course. Nice, yeah. You know, but um, I think a lot of the people like us who happen to be white, and move to this neighborhood and of middle-class means. I mean, of because econ- economics plays into it too. Um, there's a social justice um, focus or, you know, I, I don't know. We, we cared about the diversity here and embraced the diversity here. We go to the Rainier Valley Heritage Parade and that is a, an event rich with culture and diversity. We have lots of refugees and immigrants living in this neighborhood and, um, it's, it's unique. It's a unique neighborhood. And it has often felt more recently people's 
choices to move this neighborhood were, they never factored in that it was a diverse neighborhood when they moved here. They just found a house and moved in either because it was convenient on the light rail, which we now have, which we did not have 20 years ago, or, um, um, you know, the reputation of the neighborhood has changed, not with everybody, but overall it's changing. So, so some of the, the people moving here now, because real estate is way, crazy. way crazy, so. right? So, um, they maybe don't, they don't know about, they don't know about the history of this area and what it means to the people that have made this neighborhood what it is. And you, you both were hugely in, instrumental in changing what was going on around you. I mean, I think because you embraced it and made it okay, quote unquote, you know, I mean. To go to the school across the street. To go to the school, to go to the, to be in the neighborhood, to walk at night, to have, you know what I mean? I think, again, there's so many misconceptions yes. about how we behave with each other. Yeah. Well, we have a friend who was one of the ones 20 years ago who was like, could, just didn't understand why we would want to move to this neighborhood and didn't really get it and coincidentally bought a house even further south of here a few years ago. And she herself brought it up. Like, I was, all oh, I didn't understand why you were moving there. I thought that was the dumbest thing ever. So you notice. <laughs> um, you lead by example, right? So by, by, we talked about this before. It's like when you shine light on places that are seemingly dark, it allows other people not only to see what's going on, but it allows them to then carry their own torch forward and do it because you've done it already and it makes them feel safer. Sure. But I mean, what I loved when we were talking the other day, you were saying that the school across the street was considered a crappy school and you said something about the message, like it's getting back to that, the message boards yes. getting really bad press mm -hmm. and the people were just dogging it. I mean, amongst our community, yes. You know, I, whether it truly existed that way, whether you did shine a light in a dark cave, I mean, it, maybe the cave was always light to begin with and you just were the one blind, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I think that's true most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. And I think that um, in this case, um, there definitely had been amongst our peer group of mothers and fathers getting ready to send their children, their loved, their little loved one off to school. There was a definitely a reputation that, like, I think the first thing was, of course you wouldn't send your kid to Hawthorne. Where else would you send them? And we, you know, so we, and we, in our mentality, about? we're right across the street, right? Yeah. So we're, we're Yeah, thinking. this was, Griffin was like three, two or three when this conversation first started. Yeah. Even in our preschool community or whatever. And then, um, oh, uh, the comments were, and now these would be like, there's an online community group called Columbia City Parents. So just like, it was a Yahoo group, right? <laughs> okay, so if you were so inclined, I mean, a lot of the refugee, well, right, exactly. <laughs> a lot of the refugee immigrant populations in our neighborhood didn't even have access to computers. So let's be real about who was accessing Columbia City Parents. I mean, you know, this is the other interesting thing. But on those groups, which we were a part of, or in our particular preschool community, um, or out in the neighborhood, we would hear, um, it's not a safe school, it's a bad school. Um, there's a teacher there that speaks Ebonics to the kids. Um, uh, it, you know, it has poor test scores. Um, 
this is all the message and I think, board. And I think what's funny is yeah. if you did do your research and looked up on numbers online and stuff, it, it probably didn't rank high nationally. And, and I think we um, certainly, too, wondered why. You know, but this uh, is at the, the time, school the time. where people sent the, the throwaways and the Well, so historically, the Hawthorne Elementary, um, historically back in the 80s, let's say, um, I think is when the new building was constructed. It was known as one of the best elementary schools in the city of Seattle. Um, John Stanford, who the, the um, so Seattle Public Schools um, main center is called the John Stanford Center, and John Stanford was the principal of Hawthorne Elementary back in the 80s. He was very widely known and respected and was strong principal, strong teachers, and the children of this neighborhood went to the school. It was very highly rated, highly regarded. So in a change of leadership at the school, shortly after, the change of leadership caused teachers to leave. Um, there was a big transition. And then families in this neighborhood started fleeing to private school. And to be, to also to explain this neighborhood, aside from being very rich of diversity of culture and skin color, race, very diverse economically. So we are on a, we're on a ridge here. If you go up our street, up the hill, there's views of Lake Washington and the Cascade Mountains. Um, homes are very highly priced. This neighborhood was built for Boeing executives, the neighborhood of Mount Baker, which is we're on the south end of the Mount Baker neighborhood. But then if you go a few blocks south of our home, um, it's a radically different neighborhood where the light posts are no longer buried underground but are above ground with power lines and um, like we're going from, let's say, back 20 years ago, the million-dollar house on the bluff, the $200,000 or $100,000 house two blocks away with no view, okay? So radically, radically different, but in walking distance by three blocks. So a lot of those families that had um, invested in Hawthorne Elementary because it was their neighborhood school left and fled for, uh, for private school, many of them. And when the schools are under enrolled in Seattle and probably elsewhere in other districts, they receive less funding. So then it's this slippery slope where a school is struggling, people stop sending their kids if they can <laughs> be so privileged and lucky to afford to make that choice. And then um, the school no longer has adequate funding for much of anything. So now the school is struggling even more. So what Seattle Public Schools did, because they had this huge building and low enrollment at Hawthorne, is they would start moving all of these specialty programs there. Refugee immigrants, when the children arrived from their, their country of origin and didn't speak English, they would go to a refugee program at Hawthorne for a year to learn English and then be sent to their neighborhood school. So Hawthorne received a lot of transitional kids, which is hard to build a community, especially when public schools now require, because there's lack of funding from the federal government and most state governments, they rely, these schools, public schools rely on outside funding, which generally comes from PTAs, which 
white privileged communities understand that model and built that model and have access to families that make enough money to support that. But in these browner communities, these less fortunate communities, they don't have that luxury. They don't have PTAs. They don't have, um, they don't have that same support. Um, and culturally, there's a lot of, like, like Chinese families, for example, in China, you don't go help out at the school. You send your kid to school to be taught. You don't interfere. Mm -hmm. And America's different. Yeah. So there's all- Helicopter parents oh. just descending upon their children. Sure, <laughs> sure. So, um, I don't know, I'm getting lost. No, so it's okay. Thoughts. Well, so, so, so the school, was, right. So the that was thriving is now suddenly, and plus test scores matter to schools as well, right? They well, get so, funding based on that. And well, teaching, they get some, teachers based on that. Sometimes. And this viewpoint that a school is failing now, was the school failing or was the school now underfunded? Why was it failing? Under underfunded, transitional, because they were also getting kids who were homeless. They were kid, and they were also getting kids from even um, more struggling communities further south. Were getting brought to Hawthorne because Hawthorne was considered a better school than their school that was five miles south of here. So, it, it which let's just take a moment to go. Holy shit! Why is our education system so broken? This should be across the board, every neighborhood. Excellent educate. That's how it should be, and I know that's Pollyannic, but it's no. so frustrating. It's really it frustrating. frustrating. It's really frustrating. These kids should be able to eat their lunches without having to, to worry about it, regardless of how much money their family makes. They should be able to paint and learn music along with their science and mathematics. Exactly. And this whole nature, this whole idea of failing school, I think Graham and I have come to realize that these ways that the schools are scored or test scores of children in these schools is not the best measure as to whether or not this school is um, successful or has good teachers. And that's how you measure success, I guess, because in some ways one could argue that some of these test scores were taking into account so many factors of these kids were getting added, their scores um, we're all being factored in under one umbrella and you could say wow these teachers and faculty are actually doing an amazing job given the resources that they've been given um, in, Hoth that's, in that's Hawthorne they were testing and including test scores of immigrant children who didn't speak English and then comparing that to a school eight miles north of here that's like Mercer all Mercer Island or something Mercer yeah. Island or the neighborhood of Madison Park where it's primarily upper middle class white people the, those children had early education of preschool. Their parents read to them since they were they out of the parents. womb. They had two times. parents. Yeah. They had, right. There's so, just so, whole, so many factors. So many. Yeah, just on, based on what, you know, too, everybody wins when children are educated. Everybody wins Absolutely. across everybody. the board. Yeah. It just makes the world a better place. Doesn't yeah. matter where the kids come from. You could, I could show you, not you, but the Royal you a list of inventors from all over the world that that's what education does, sure. you know, that have created. It frustrates me so much because I think, you know what, if you aren't, if you don't like immigrants, if you don't like uh, people of other colors or cultures, then stop using basically all the things that you use in your house, 
in your electronics, don't go sure. to the doctor anymore. These, all these inventions that you blithely use every day, again, not you, but the royal you, were made by people of color or somebody in some foreign land somewhere right. or whatever. And it's yeah. so frustrating. It is. You're happy to, to take the, the joys of the things that were created without honoring those who created them. Makes exactly. me crazy. Anyway, back to the story. Well, yeah, I think for <laughs> yeah, us, you know, and that it, weighs into it, it right? does weigh into it. And I, you know, when, when going, come back to this, you know, you have a two or three year old and you're trying to figure out where to send him to school. And, we have this elementary school literally across the street from our house. And all we heard was bad stuff from people who had never stepped foot in the school. Isn't that or always met the way? anyone who went to the school. <laughs> or met anyone who went to the school. That's always the way that it's much easier to complain about something you don't know anything about than to actually... But see, that's what I love about y'all. Because you, Graham, you, you and Jen, you were like, let's just go over there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember... Um... I think there was a particular email or thread that we were uh, on, and I remember receiving just someone's total. Um, I, I think it was just that line, like, "Of course you wouldn't go to Hawthorne," and I think we were sort of like, "Oh no, like, what if were we just totally wrong? Like, should we not be sending our child to Hawthorne?" And and you know, as a parent, you want. And understandably, the best for your kid. You know, I mean, you certainly want the best education possible. Uh, but there was something in those words that, I, you know, I, I just suddenly had the time and was like, well, Jen, I'll see you later. I think she was in the middle of teaching a piano lesson or something. And I just walked out the door and went across the street and got myself signed up. Um, at the school to, to be a volunteer. And, uh, Without I, having a child there yet. Without having a child. And I think they're, from their standpoint, they were a little bit freaked out too. I mean, I think they were like, well, who is this person? Like, Understandably. You know. So they stuck me with uh, a teacher that I, I, I think ended up just being a really great match for us. Uh, it was a second grade classroom. Uh, her name is Cherie Turner. Um, and she has gone on to do great things. I think she moved to Atlanta at one point in time and, you know, teacher of the year awards are down there. Um, wonderful. But, uh, but yeah, I went down there and I, I, I started volunteering once a week, uh, for just an hour. So it wasn't, uh, a substantial commitment. And, you know, what I saw was, um, pretty much what you would expect to see at a school. You know, I saw, um, a lot of cute young kids, um, you know, wanting to learn and a great teacher and all the people I met was, uh, you know, a great faculty. Um, but there were some definitely eye-opening things. Um, I had been paired with, uh, a kid who had taken a particular liking to me. Um, and he was sort of one of the, you know, quote unquote troublemakers in the classroom. And, um, you know, he liked to, he liked animals. And so one day we went to the, he said if it was okay for me to take him to the library and you know, the teacher seemed to think that that was okay. It had been after a month or two of me being there. And um, we went down there and, and walked into a library just with like a full disarray, like nothing in order organized at all. And, uh, you know, there was a book that he was enjoying about animals. And I sort of said, well, let's check this book out. And, you know, he said, well, we, we can't check books out. And I said, well, you know, why can't you check a book out? And he, he, and he said, well, you got to ask my teacher. 
So I went back to the classroom and as we were heading off to lunch, I said, hey, you know, um, how come we can't, you know, we get a book out of the library? Just like, huh, there's no librarian. At a um, school. At a school. There's no librarian and, you know, and I sort of, obviously it was sort of a slightly in shock and no librarian. Um, and so then, um, at that point, I think I also mentioned that, you know, when I was talking to the kid about the animals that, hey, the, you know, the, the child had never been to a zoo before. And I thought, you know, God, here it is, you know, what a great experience the zoo is. And Seattle has a particularly amazing zoo. So I mentioned that to the teacher and, uh, and you know, she, she sort of started talking about, hey, how, you know, the experiences of a lot of the children here are, a lot different than the experiences I had growing up. So later that day though, I got a phone call from the principal of the school and the principal introduced herself as Sandra Scott. She said, I hear, you know, I hear you want to go to the zoo. And I sort of laughed. She said, well, you know, when do you want to go? You know, you want to go this Friday? And I said, really? And she said, yeah, we'll, t we'll take the whole second grade. And so we applied and uh, I, I uh, recruited my wife and uh, my mother-in-law <laughs> as chaperones uh, because we completed the enough chaperones to go on a school field yeah, trip. Yeah, that's the other thing. With, uh, there's not as much parent support for that particular year of kids, you know, either two working parents or one working parent. Um, yeah. Not as much ability to have parent involvement in a society, an American society that kind of requires it for public schools these days. Well, I just, I just, the fact that you <laughs> all did this with a child not even in the school, I think that's extraordinary for a lot of reasons, but most especially it's because people talk about how, I hate this, I hate that, this is wrong, this is broken, this is screwed up, this is, this is, the blah, 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 blah. But seldom do people do something. Experience it, yeah. Well, no, they don't. Don't do something. Yeah. You, you said, see you later, Jen. Gonna go across the street. Gonna see what this is all about. And not only did you do that, and then become an active member of the the volunteer staff at the school, but then you also got other people involved. You know, you guys did. This is extraordinary yeah. in my eyes. It was, well, it was some. It was some cool stuff, and it, and ended up being the chess teacher for the school. Um, I started. You, you did? Know, yeah, I did. Yeah, they didn't have a. You <laughs> know, so cool. they didn't have anyone to teach chess, and so we started. You know, I started a chess club, and then. Um, and my mom became an artist in residence. Talk about that. That's interesting to me. Yeah. So um, once Griffin, I guess when Griffin entered kindergarten there. Um, my mom is an artist and wanted to help and we we're like why don't you teach art and so she goes in and works with the kindergartners like I don't know a couple times like once a week or whatever it is well, it's yeah, changed over it's time changed, but I think what was great is she wanted Griffin I think at the time they did have an art teacher but I feel at the time that they didn't have sort of a one-on-one -on -one painting or some sort of class and I, I felt like Claudette 
that's your mom? Yeah, that's yeah. my mom. Yeah, your mom. I, I feel like she was like, well, I want to give Griffin that experience. Well, there's so, a lot of grassroots stuff going on, right? Yeah. Like, okay, there's a little boy that's not been in the zoo. Let's go to the zoo, right? Now, some people might say, well, I want to send my kid to a place that has the arts program already cooking. And, well, there should already be field trips to the zoo. And we were like, okay. Like, are, are kids going to be okay in the world? He's got two parents that love him up. We have a really supportive family. We have a house. We have a roof over our head. We're educated. We travel. We have the ability to take him places and go on field trips on our own. I mean, our kid at that point at age three, he went on the field trip with the second grade with us, but he'd already been to the zoo 25 times already. So we thought, you know, there, there are... There are some things lacking at Hawthorne because Hawthorne was having a rough go of it because it didn't have the support of the community. It didn't have the support of Seattle Public Schools even. Um, it didn't have the support of our community and our neighbors. And we were like, we, we want to invest in our community. So Claudette you know? went in and said, there's no art program for... Well, well what happened is... We were invited to be part of the design team of the school. So because they said yeah, you cared. Yeah, so Graham had gone and volunteered and we got we got to know the teachers and the administrative staff. And the the principal, Sandra Scott, was somebody who had an open door. She you'd call it um I've learned that you call this um, an open door school as opposed to a fortress school. A fortress school is one where the principal is or the leadership says, you know, we've put a little wall around this school and we handle everything. We don't need your help. We inside the walls of this school, we've got it covered. You stay out and let us get to work. Instead, her approach was the door is open and if you want to give of your energy and time in some way, come in and share your ideas. What do you got? That's great. Okay, so there's like and a- And she was, and let it also be known, she had just arrived. So she was, I think, in her first year when I went over to volunteer. Um, and so she then, at the, uh, you know, to set the story, I think, um, other things that happened that year were because it was getting near time for Griffin maybe to pick Hawthorne as his school. Um, we had a lot of community that was curious because I think they, we were very sort of definite that we had decided that maybe this would be the right choice. And you were being Griffin. vocal along within the community, right? Saying these are the steps we're taking. And this is what I see. I see a yes. great faculty. I don't know why the test scores are this way. It looks like a great school. And Sandra said, well, hey, I'm happy to, to come talk to whoever wants to listen. And so one night we set up a potluck over at the school and people brought from the community, brought dishes and set up in the in the lunchroom in the kitchen and, and basically... And ahead of time, I put a thing out on this these community message boards, like, what are your questions? What are your questions for the principal? And there was a, there we was got a like nice... 30, 40 questions and we gave her the questions and we said, okay, come if you want to learn about the school instead of just bad-mouthing the school. Of course, I said and it in a, a nicer great, way than that. Yeah. But um, there's a great turnout. Let's and, and come with your questions. Yeah. It was quite an intense 
evening though. It was a packed cafeteria of probably a couple hundred people. And there were moments that were very difficult. Um, kudos to Principal Scott for hanging in there because there were some very judgmental people. There were some angry people. This was at a time, now you have to remember where we were at educationally in this town. This was the year that, and this what got a lot of people upset. This was a year that Seattle Public Schools tried to, they changed their model to you go to your neighborhood school oh, instead of you can apply to go to any school in the district, which ultimately I'm all for, because I think ultimately that helps strengthen the neighborhood school as opposed to giving people with privilege and a voice an opportunity to flee when they don't like what they see. Instead of changing it. Instead of investing right. in the community, which makes the school stronger. Where in addition to that whole idea that you could go anywhere that they were gonna get rid of, right? They have these things called option schools. The option schools, let's say every kind of greater neighborhood had an option school. This neighborhood's option school is a school called Orca. The option school was meant to be the alternative choice, but what, what they did when they came up with this new plan of you have to go to your neighborhood school was, now there's a, it's called a geo zone. We're gonna put a geo zone into effect. So it takes like maybe for us, for example, took a bunch of different neighborhoods all adjoining, and then Orca's kind of in the center of it, and it says, Orca is now your option school. So you have two choices. You can go to your neighborhood school of Hawthorne, or you can go to your option school, Orca. But catch is, we're gonna put this little geo zone around Orca that's like the people that live like within walking distance from Orca and we're gonna give them priority to go to Orca. But all those kids, if they wanted, could go to Hawthorne because that's their neighborhood school. But if you live outside the geo zone of Orca, you have to lottery into Orca. So in effect, what they were saying is people that live in a geo zone around an option school have two choices for their schools. But if you don't live in a geo zone, you have one choice and you got a lottery choice. I mean, completely inequitable. I'm actually really surprised that no one has started a class action suit. And that's still in place today. So at the time that we were looking at Hawthorne and all of these other folks in the neighborhood were bashing on Hawthorne, they were all, Orca was the savior. Orca was their saving grace. But all this was changing, right? Because they were gonna have to go to Hawthorne now. They couldn't apply to the, the schools on the North End and bust their kids like a lot of people had been doing, right? They were like, well, if we don't get an Orca, then we have to go to Hawthorne and we're not doing that. Of course, none of them had ever stepped foot in the That's school. That's when they start mm -hmm. using their friends' addresses. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. And just to add a little <laughs> yeah. color, too, is that one of the other things is that Orca was way overcrowded. I mean, it had been, the classroom size was almost up to like 30 children which a classroom, a which is a yeah. large class. For kindergarten. Hawthorne, <laughs> Hawthorne, I think, was at around 14. You know, so, but it was like, I ain't going to Hawthorne. I'd rather be 31 in a classroom mm -hmm. than have to, you know, be. So Again, people that see problems, well, it's that thing. It's like when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. Like instead of actually going, oh, maybe I can do something, which is what y'all yes. did. So yeah. tell me about the, um, 
the board? You were starting to say something about it. Well, so, yeah, so the, the night that we had this gathering, you know, I think there were a lot of people just pissed off at Seattle Public Schools and taking it out on poor Sandra Scott. But they were trying, at least people showed up. People were trying to figure it out. Mm. So around that same time that the district changed these rules, Obama, um, the Obama administration offered uh, schools like Hawthorne, um, what a student impro- student improvement grant, which was SIG SIG grant, and they were grants that would be awarded for over a three year period, and it, it amounted to a million or more dollars. Which is it goes fast, but it's still a nice chunk of money. Huge for a school like Hawthorne that's underfunded, right? For all the reasons we talked about earlier. And I think it allowed for some crucial things. Too. It did, but what what it what it meant in the beginning was that it was Sandra's job, the principal, she had to put together a team, which she called the design team, and they had to work through the various guidelines of this grant. In order to get it. In order to get it. It was part of the process of receiving the money. Which, if anyone's gone through the grant process... Ugh. Well, so this is post-grant. <laughs> so this is... The grant has been awarded. Oh, how okay. did, so how did the award come to be then? Well, that's a good question. Did Seattle Public Schools apply for those on behalf of the schools that were struggling, or did the schools themselves apply? I don't even know if it was something set up through, yeah, like maybe even so, maybe they it just might have, have been, been granted done in via those, test yeah. scores. It okay. might have been yeah. done via the rating of the schools. Sure, sure. There's three of them within either Seattle or Washington. West Seattle Elementary, yeah. Hawthorne, and Cleveland High School. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, um, so the grant was awarded, and then we had to go through these steps. To, to get everything in line for the money to arrive. So Sandra asked us to be on the design team as, as representatives from the community. The community. Yeah. There were school there were people from Seattle Public Schools on that on that design team, teachers from Hawthorne. And we met over a course of several months, bi-monthly or whatever it was, and we had a list of tasks that we had, you know, questions we had to answer and we had to create the vision for what Hawthorne was going to be. What did that look like to you? Um, one of the main components was a uh, performance art focus. Um, Sandra Scott is an African-American principal. Um, she had a school rich with diversity. And although, you know, I think, and she talked about this specifically, that there, there often had been um, in schools in inner cities that had a lot of children of color, there was often that push to get rid of arts and music to really help give kids who are more disadvantaged economically an advantage and just really focus on academics. And it was Principal Scott's belief and those of us on the design team, it was our belief that we could really enhance the education and actually make it stronger by having the performance art component. And she envisioned um, a program that would enable, I mean, and it's actually what the school became, which is um, a focus on STEM plus the arts, which is called STEAM. So the acronym is S-T-E-A-M, A for arts, where kids all learn differently. And so if you create a system, you have an educational system that can use arts and help meet kids where they're at. Like some kids are visual learners, some kids are auditory learners, some kids are tactile, you know, whatever it is, there can be a unit on spiders, you know, and some kids are drawing the spiders to learn about them. And some kids are giving an oral presentation to learn about them. Or, you know, some kids are building a spider out of whatever, right? So, um, 
she, the, the main design of it was, um, that there was going to be a large component of enrichment and not just art, but other things, um, as much enrichment as she could bring into the, into the fold. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Powerful learners. Powerful. Which was an after, which was was an after school. Well, and there was, oh yes. Yeah. yeah, I I don't, I don't remember. God, that's, it was, it was a lot of work to get there. It's a lot of years ago too. We had to brand the school. Like it was like what a business does. Right. Sure. And there was a big component on like, look, we've got this school rich with diversity. Let's honor it. Let's celebrate it. Our focus is to bring all these kids in the fold. Yeah. Yeah, and I think and I think and that was that the the success of the school was such a was a unique balance of of maybe three to four uh, really necessary factors, which was I, I have to say the school had a, already in place a great faculty. Now they were able to add where they were lacking, which was a librarian, art uh, teacher, an art teacher. Um, and they did have a paid art teacher, not just my mom. Yeah. Yeah. And then they also had Eileen Gray was brought in. Um, yeah. So right. one of the, we created a position um, with some of the money, which was to uh, our, so Principal Scott hired uh, a business officer, which is, she was really the vice principal. Her name was um, Eileen Gray and she was a principal at a local parochial school for a while. And so basically Hawthorne had two, two principals. principals. Yeah. And they were, they got along great. They had a shared a vision. And which also speaks to their character because instead of being uh, adversarial, which some people would take that, what? There's going to be two of us? They were in conjunction. They became. They were. And I think one of the difficult elements of, and I don't know if it was just the grant or just the way that the city was moving, but Sandra ended up down at the Board of Education, you know, at the, down at the city explaining herself. More so, so you know, she was gone half the time having to answer to other people. Well, at the same time, you then had another principal in place who took care of the kids. I feel like and this is a movie in the making. Oh, it's, it, God, it's it was it was amazing. And so you had so you had this amazing faculty and principal. And I think the principal is like having a great quarterback on a like a football totally. team. And and, and then you had. And you had, well, well, that's right, you, but you had a whole set of community of, of parents who were not just the type of parent to drop their kids off, but were all given, giving of their time. And so you, the, the whole neighborhood took pride and ownership. And so then well, behind it all was a bunch of kids. Not yet, though. Not in the beginning. Well, I mean, it grew. It, you know, it, it grew, but I mean, there was a lot of care right from the get-go. Well, those of I us mean, who invested in Hawthorne from, let's say, from, from, well, the people, let's say, from the message boards, right, that maybe look like Graham and I, the white middle-class families who we all had kind of a similar, we might be from different states, but, you know, we all went to college and we... We're doing okay for ourselves. That group, yeah. right? A small group of families um, sent their kids to Hawthorne and um, really got to work at helping uh, helping raise money, 
one of the things Eileen Gray did was help us start an auction because Sandra saw that we needed to raise additional funding because that was Million the system. Fast, yeah. And also, well, the realization was that after three years, the money runs out. Yeah. And and so you we, need to be self-sustaining for the future. Right. And, and so. Right. We we did as much as we could to not be kind of preachy, annoying people on our soapbox. Like we just wanted to share our experience, and so we would just open our home. Or, or put together potlucks at the community center. But you had cocktail to, parties here. And yeah, things. we would invite people. We would put things out on message boards and flyers and word of mouth. And we would say, interested in, you know, if your child, you know, we're going to have just like a social for Hawthorne. So if you're interested in learning about the school and what's going on there and you have questions. And, you know, I think the first time we did it, it was really intense. You know, it's like people are more there like freaked out that they were maybe going to at the the thought that they maybe were going to have to send their kid to Hawthorne but then also finding comfort in the fact that there were some of us that were like it's going to be okay there's good stuff happening there's great kids and there's great teachers and there's amazing right. principal over the time that Griffin was there from kindergarten to fifth grade, I would say by the time he was in fifth grade, one of those parties we had, it was more just like no one even asked about the school. They came and ate our food and drank our drinks and children. Have and fun. that was it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh. And so um, it, but. And I think one thing that it's left out a lot of these discussions that you guys keep bringing in is that uh, children want to learn yes. they they're curious minded they're excited everything is new and interesting they if given the opportunity to grow in that environment you know they will it, it that's just the nature of the way a child's mind works you know so i assume taking those kids to the zoo the ones that had never been to the zoo i can't even imagine the joyfulness that surrounded that day to see how oh, kids respond. It, it was great. It was great. But in, in some ways, I don't know if the, if it was you know more for us or for them. You know, because <laughs> um, really life goes on. Um, yeah, you know, it was. Um, it's it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me to talk about because I feel like you know. On the one hand, I feel like yeah, okay, so maybe we were some of the first white people to jump into the pool, <laughs> right. um, and we dove. So do you feel but, weird about being white in those cases? You know, I, I, I feel I feel like there was so much there was so much history and care before I took that leap. You so know, the much. pool the pool was there the day before, and people were in it, and there were teachers there that had already given years of their life to every day, and and to them. They thought it was a great school. I mean, could they? Did they need the you know more resources and more money and stuff? Yes, but were they like, you know, they weren't like these they miserable, unhappy yeah. people, and suddenly no. white people came. It's why we sent our. It's why our we sent our kid there because we saw firsthand that that's that's what the core was there. We saw loving teachers. We saw. Ernest kids. But we yeah. saw you put a face on it that, of course, other faces that look like your face could align with. Mm -hmm. So that's it. And I and I that's think, an unfortunate reality. It yeah. was. And I think what was, but what we what but was what true. What was true is that we did bring parents that that lived in our zip code 
that had time and energy to put into school. Yes. We brought a caring group of people to our school that um, allowed the school to have that stability from year after year. You know, there was a kid who was going to start in the first grade and was going to graduate in the fifth grade. And I think that brought a lot of peace of mind because along the way, Seattle public schools tried to screw it all up. Um, they, they tried to take the teacher, the principal away. They tried to take borders and redraw things. But what they had behind it was a community to speak for Hawthorne, which was not there before. Before, Hawthorne just had to roll with whatever punches Seattle Public Schools threw at it. And so, I mean, it was a dumping ground. There was people at the Seattle Public Schools who actually bashed Hawthorne. I mean, I think there were people that were like, well, I would never send my kids there. Yes. Kind of thing. There were I mean, now you, that. You, the, the school has seen awards from other places besides the um, yes. the SIG. You, the yeah, tar, well, you said Target gave an award. Target gave them gave Hawthorne a library improvement grant. Which is so cool. It was so cool. And like a Fifty thousand dollars to completely revamp and restock and iPads and the whole bit. Boy, would did we have one happy librarian <laughs> too? It was pretty sad. The principal National Principals Association awarded. Miss Scott an award and gave us a brand new playground and wow. all these principals from all over the country came and the kids got to vote on the colors and we got to break ground and it's been a, it was a real exciting ride I would say because um, that there was just really excited energy and commitment of people who really cared about the school and cared about the kids and I think I love that it's I love that it's a hawthorn tree because when you look at a hawthorn tree, it's a beautiful tree, but it's covered in thorns. So to like get it, get on the outside of it, it's very thorny and slightly dangerous, you know, but getting underneath it, once you get inside, it's this beautiful canopy. There's all this space. You could stand up. You know, it's beautiful. It's such a lovely metaphor. I just love That's that great. it's named hawthorn. I, like I really do. Cool. I love that. It's yeah. pretty cool. You know, the, um, the National Education Association came to give Hawthorne some awards during this period. And what Hawthorne was known for is one of the most successful SIG grant schools of all the schools in the nation. Wow. So a lot of schools received the money and made some great changes and then were not able to sustain. And so the Education Association would come and ask us, well, what was different? about Hawthorne and, and that, I think that spoke to those factors and that's what Graham mm -hmm. was just speaking to it was like the we say it was the perfect storm of the right leadership the right teachers the right kids and the right community and then, at the and same time all working money. together and then money and money yeah for sure so for people listening who maybe their schools are struggling um, or maybe they their schools are fine and they see other schools around them struggling any advice that you might give to to them? Well, you know, it's interesting. Before, when Griffin was in preschool, before we kind of started this journey, I remember a friend of mine saying, oh, you know, you have the moxie and the, the, the resources to get your kid in wherever you need to get him in. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Meaning, you know, you could go to whatever private school, or you could find the money, you could work the system, you could call upon the people you know to get whatever you want for your kid. 
And you know, we took a very different path ultimately. Instead of that, we, we invested in, I don't know, in ourselves, in our neighborhood. We, in, we invested in what was here and it was not always easy. I mean, it was a, we look back on it and I'm just so grateful that we made the decisions we made and that we lucked out to be part of such a great community because it really is. Hawthorne community is like a family to us, but we could have easily missed out on that opportunity um, um, by not uh, being willing to challenge ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, working through what we did was not, <laughs> it was not easy. It was not always comfortable. Um, I mean, there was even a, there was even a, a teacher at Hawthorne who was mistrustful for a long time about a lot of the new families that had come in who were not families of color and we understood and respected her. I mean, her feeling was this school is great. We don't need your help. And by the fourth year, I remember sitting at a table with her and we sat down and we said, Miss Mack, what do you need? We, we know you're the expert in knowing like what the kids need for these events that you do and you help. What do you need? How much money do you need to do this? And she told us and we filled her name in on the line for the PTA funding and her face just lightened up and I sat with her and with my mom and she was like, she had a complete change of heart of like, oh, I, I thought you were coming in to like, to change it, that you were coming in to try to take over. And I realized it's not, it's not at all what you all were doing. You were coming in to be a part of the community. And it was, it was really powerful, really mm -hmm. powerful. Yeah, I think that's great. I think your message of, of, um, of what can I do for you um, as a parent to the faculty? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to um, you have to believe that they're teachers, you know, and that they're that they're doing the right thing for the kids, and 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 maybe sort of step back and say, hey, how can I be of assistance to you? Is a really um, I think that's good advice. You're coming from a place of privilege. It's really easy to say, this is what I want from you. Give me this. I need this. And, um, or I know better than you. Or I know better stuff. than you. Sure. And um, when you come from a place like Graham said of, you know. How may I serve? Yeah. 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 And it's a, conver it's a conversation. You know, it's a, it's and a, it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one. And I think, I think back, I was sort of, you know, thinking how one may argue that Hawthorne has, is a, is a success, but, um, I think even having spent my life as an artist, and I think you may, uh, relate to this too, Susan, is that, you know, someone may perceive the success and think, wow, like how, what an easy road it was to get there. But, but, but they, they miss so much of the background and, and it's, you know, getting in there, it's not overnight. I mean, there's just, it's a lot of, it's, it's slow. Of a, it's of 10, it, miles. it's the yeah. journey. It's, yeah. the it's journey. a journey. And there was, there was a lot of, it, it's, it's nice to reflect back on his education and say, wow, that 
really worked. And, you know, when in talking to Griffin, it feels like it did. Um, he really has great memories of his, um, He's you know, a very smart and engaging child as well. So that speaks well of you, obviously, but it also yeah. speaks well of his teachers yeah, and his nice. educators, for sure. Thank you so much, Jen and Graham. I yeah. think... I, I just when you started telling me this story, I was I wanted to get it out so so much. It, it meant a lot to me because, as cliche as it is, the children are go Whitney Houston, our future. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's true. And it, it's they are they are worth our time. They are worth our investment. They are yeah. worth our our love and understanding. But and all the kids, not just the ones that all, we birthed. No, of course, you know all the kids. Right. Exactly, exactly. All the kids. Exactly. All of them because. You don't know what that kid's going to grow up and become. And if we do our jobs right as humanity, as people of humanity, those children will grow up and give back to the world. And it's, it's, it's all symbiotic, all of it. This is not an us against them. No. We're all in it. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so hey, much. Thank, thank you, you so much. Bye, yeah. everybody. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Take a moment and go to iTunes and rate and review Hey Human. Thanks. Bye.